Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, I'm glad to see so many of you here this morning. I've been worried all week, like I was gonna have a lot of sleepy people in this service, because I heard there was a game last night that some of you probably stayed up for, and I prayed, at least if you're gonna be sleepy, I uh, hope you're happy. And uh, so, sure enough, at least most of you are probably happy. If, I don't know if we have any Giants fans, if, if so, sorry. Sorry for you. Um, anyhow, some sermons, some sermons are, are feel-good sermons. They're fun for me to deliver, fun for you to receive. Last week, I would say, was, was one of those sermons. And just, I want to recap from last week because it's just, it's so foundational for this whole series that we're in on Romans. So the main point last week, which is actually just a quote from, from the book of Habakkuk, is the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And, and Paul wants to make the point that it is not the one who by effort is righteous, because none of us can make a perfect effort to be righteous enough for God. So thank the Lord that he has made a righteousness available to us by faith, not by our works. This is really good news for, for all of us, but maybe particularly those of us who live in this area, because we are so, this area is so performance oriented. I mean, we are driven, driven, driven to produce and to, you know, to, to just do stuff. And so the fact that we can just relax, just take a deep breath, God has done it for you and offers it to you as a gift. That is good news. And the result of that, having that kind of faith that leads to that kind of righteousness, is we shall live. And we, we talked about this last week, and I got home. This is the torment of, of a pastor every week. I get home, and oh, I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have said this differently. And so last week, I got home. I, I was like, I can't even believe, didn't even talk about eternal life. I mean, last week, we talked about that we'll experience real life in this world, meaning that you know when we're going through difficulties and trials, God's gonna give us real life. This is like how to experience real life, and that's true in this world, but then we get eternal life on top of that. Like, just phenomenally gracious God is. So, that was last week, feel-good message. Today, not like that. Today's message, not a feel-good message. And this is why, because Paul is gonna begin to explain why the by faith in this phrase is so vital. Paul is gonna begin to make a case for why it is absolutely impossible for anyone, any, you, I, anyone on the planet, to be able to achieve the righteousness that God requires of us. And so if there's any shred left in you of feeling like, you know, I know I need God to forgive me, I know I need Jesus to, to wash my sins away, but, but all in all, I don't think I'm really that bad. 
If there's a shred of that left in you, Paul is going to beat that out of you over the next several weeks. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you up front, the next several weeks are gonna be heavy. And so I hope that you don't not come over the next several weeks because we, we really need this foundation to really appreciate the, the good news that God is, is offering to us. But Paul, Paul is gonna make us squirm. He's gonna start making us squirm today personally because there are ways, he's gonna point out ways that we all fall short of God's standard for us. He's also gonna make us squirm because he is going to call out a specific behavior today that our culture has shifted to affirm and to say this is really not a problem and we shouldn't be saying it is a problem. And so Paul is gonna sound very unloving in the passage that we look at this morning. So I just wanna say up front, I'm probably going to offend everybody this morning about something because some of you are going to think that I'm being too soft and some of you are gonna wish that I had a, a podium to pound and that I was gonna slam my Bible or something like that. You're gonna think that I'm, I'm being a little too soft on this issue. Others of you are gonna think I'm being way too harsh, that Paul is being way too harsh, that it's very antiquated. And here's what I will just say to all of you who are gonna be offended. First of all, I, I don't really answer to you. So, you know, <laughs> I... I um, and I, I have to say that because um, if I drive myself crazy trying to make everybody happy and nobody offended, then you know, I will be crazy. So I'm, I'm just gonna say that. I am answerable to our elders, okay? So I do answer to them. Um, but the second thing that I wanna say is, it is my, my desire and my prayer to follow the model of Jesus who came full of grace and truth. It's really, really easy for me, and I think maybe for all of us, to fall off on one side or the other of that, to be too gracious and maybe affirm things that, that God is not affirming, or to be too harsh. And so my, my desire is to follow the model of Jesus. He's perfect, I am not, I do not always get it right, but I just want you to know, as we wade into this, that that's, that's what I'm aiming for. If you would turn with me in a Bible to Romans chapter one, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible with you, I really would love for you to turn there so you can read along with us this morning. And there's a Bible near you on the seats. Romans one is on page 1040. The book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome is Paul's most extensive treatment of the most important topic that could ever be written, has ever been written about, and that is the gospel, the good news. The good news that God makes a righteousness available to us so that we can be in right standing with him, and he makes that available to people who are completely, utterly undeserving of it. That's good news. There is a bad news that leads up to that gospel because the bad news is that we are so undeserving. And so for the next several weeks, Paul is going to talk about this bad news. As I said, I mean, we'll, we'll bear with it, we'll walk through it. It's been tough for me as I'm studying it ahead, but we're, we're gonna work through it because without understanding the bad news, without spending time on the bad news, we will never fully appreciate 
what God has made available to us. Douglas Moo, who is a commentator that I've been reading, one of the several that I've been reading, he says it this way, we will never come to grips with the importance of the gospel or be motivated as we should to proclaim it until this sad truth has been fully integrated into our worldview, this sad truth being the extent to which we have fallen short of God's expectations. And so that is our, our topic this morning. We're gonna start in verse 17, which is where we ended last week. Verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, I want you to see that phrase because now we're gonna start in verse 18 for today. For the wrath of God is revealed. Okay, do you see the contrast between those? Last week, the righteousness of God is revealed. Today, we take a sharp turn and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Scripture tells us that there are two ways that God reveals himself. One is general revelation, that's what we, we just read about. The other is special revelation, that's the scriptures. That's what we believe to be God's words that he's expressed to us. There are some things that we cannot understand apart from that special revelation. Unless God spells it out for us in words, there are some things that we can't understand. And so, but Paul tells us there are some things that we can understand and that everyone is responsible to understand about God that are revealed in nature, in creation. Creation gives evidence of a creator. And he says, Paul says there, specifically, there are two characteristics of God that are evident in creation. In verse 20, he says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. He said, we can get a hint of these, we can get a picture of these in the creation that God has made. So if we think about eternal power, what Paul is saying is when we look at creation, we, we get an idea that there is someone who outclasses us in terms of eternality, in terms of time. So there's someone who exists longer than we do. I mean, let's face it. I mean, our existence on this planet, 70, 80 years maybe, I mean, that's a blip. It's a blip compared to how long the earth has been here, however old you may think the earth is. I mean, we've been here for a smidgen of that. There's, there's someone who, there, there's something, there are things that exist far beyond us. Paul tells us that should point us to someone, someone who exists far beyond that timeline. And his, his eternal power. I mean, when we see creation, when you see a waterfall, when you see a mountain, I mean, don't you feel, aren't there moments when you look at creation and you're like, I feel so tiny right now. I feel so weak and, and inadequate. And, and, God, and Paul says that points us that there is someone who outclasses us in terms of power. 
And then he talks about his divine nature. Paul says that creation suggests to us that there is someone who outclasses us in terms of, of our essence. So I was listening to a message by Alistair Begg this week, and he, he quoted someone who started out as an atheist and then became a theist. So he said he's probably not someone today who would say, yeah, I believe all the Bible, I believe in Jesus, but he at least has gone from believing there's no God to believing a God that there is a God. His name, if you wanna look him up, is Anthony Flew. But uh, what Professor Flew, he came to this conclusion. The reason he came to the conclusion is because of reason. He said, if you look at human beings and their ability to think beyond themselves, that that suggests that there's, there's more to the planet, there's more to the world, there's more to our existence than just the material, the atoms that make up our, our bodies. The fact that we can reason, that we can think, that we can perceive of eternity or love or all of these concepts, he's, he, that caused him to say, we, we're not just a blob of atoms that can be put under a microscope. We're, there's actually more to us, and so there must be someone out there who designed that. So Paul says we are, humankind is without excuse. That's categorical. He says there is enough in creation to point us to a creator. But in spite of that evidence, many people have rejected the idea of what creation reveals. Verse 21 For although they knew God, although they saw these things and should recognize that there's someone bigger than they are, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So the proper response, if you recognize there's a God, if you you acknowledge that there's a deity, the proper response would be verse 21, to honor him as God and to give thanks to him. But because they refuse to acknowledge that there is a God, they they don't do either one of those things. And now what we see is the first of three cycles that we're we're, we're gonna see three times here. An action reaction. Humans reject the truth about God and they make an exchange of the true God for something lesser. That's the action that humans take. And the reaction on God's part is to give them up to that lesser thing, which proves to be their undoing. So so watch for this as we read. We're gonna see two of these today, an exchange and a giving up. The first example in verse 23, well, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's the exchange. The reaction in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So humans exchange the glory of God, the true God, for images resembling animals, mortal man, creeping things. Remember, so humans are exchanging the true God for a substitute God or an idol. 
Remember the audience that Paul is writing to. He's writing to Romans, people in, in Rome. Remember, Rome had a pantheon of gods. They, they had, you know, God of thunder, they had God of war, they had God of this, God of that. And remarkably, all of them looked pretty human. And so you would see statues, you would see pictures of them. And, and Paul is writing to them saying, these are all false. And if we go back further in history, and probably at Paul's time as well, we would go back to the Egyptians. We know that they had gods who looked like animals. They had animal heads and, and so on and so forth. And Paul says, that all is, in, is a visible evidence of an exchange of the true God who cannot be visualized for a substitute God. And the true God says, don't even try to represent me. Don't even try to make a visible representation. That's the first two commandments that we see in Exodus 20. First of all, he says, you shall have no other gods beside me. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. The, the true God says, you cannot begin to capture my being visually, so don't even try. Whatever you try to do visually is gonna fall short and you're gonna minimize who, who I am. So this exchange in verse 23 is a huge problem. Before we count ourselves out of thinking, well, you know, most of us don't have a carved statue in our bedroom that we go in and, and burn incense to. And I don't say that too, too lightly because there are people, and there may be people in this room that do that because we know there are people in our world that have idols. We were in Thailand a few years ago and we saw uh, little shrines along the streets that people were bringing offerings of food to these, these gods or they would, they would leave money even for them. So, that still goes on in, in our world. In our Western world, we tend to have idols that are more sophisticated. And oftentimes they're not as visual. I mean, one of the big idols, let's face it, is just is money. And Jesus called that out as an idol. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. You're gonna serve one or the other. Tim Keller adds to that in his book, he talks about counterfeit gods. He talks about money and sex and power. These are some of the, the driving substitute gods that we have surrendered our lives to, our devotion, our energy to pursuing instead of the, the true God. Jesus said to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Anything else that you substitute into that space that is made for him, anything that you substitute giving more of your energy to, that's a substitute, God. And so the result of that, as, as people are exchanging the true God for a lesser thing, the response from the true God is, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. We should understand that the Greek word here, gave them up, is a technical term that actually speaks of turning someone over to authorities, turning someone over to the police or to courts for a judgment. And so God is giving people over to a, a judgment here. He's giving them up, it says, to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies, in a word, immorality. So 
and, and let's define immorality clearly here as sexual activity outside of the protective covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, because that's the way God set it out from the beginning, Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So any sexual expression outside of that covenant God says is, is actually a judgment. Here's what's interesting about this passage. The judgment is not coming because of immorality. That's the way we tend to think. The immorality is actually a judgment for the greater sin, which is idolatry. This is where we get this all out of whack sometimes, even as, as the church, because we kind of focus in on, okay, if you're behaving poorly and you're, you're using sex wrongly, then that's the worst sin and that's really bad and you need to repent of that. The worst sin in this passage, and it permeates everything here from the foundation that Paul is talking about, is idolatry. It is looking to the wrong God in your life. And immorality is rooted in that idolatry. It is a judgment for it. How does that work? How is immorality a judgment for it? It seems to be, and it appears to be, and many people have the attitude, this is freedom. This is my freedom to live the way I want, and I don't have to live under God's rule. Well, it's actually, if we look at verse 24, when, when he says, He's, God gave them up to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That word dishonoring is actually better translated to treat shamefully or to abuse. So when we give our bodies over to sexual immorality, we are actually abusing our bodies. Paul says this in, in another letter, that that's actually, this is actually the only way we sin against our own bodies. Let me tell you, let me give you one example of how, how this works. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 talks a lot about immorality there. And he uses a word where he says, when you join yourself to someone else in sexual immorality, he, he uses the word there, join, it, it actually means glue, in, in the Greek, you're gluing yourself to another person. That's the way God designed physical intimacy to work. It releases hormones, it releases dopamine, it releases um, other things that I can't think of right now, but it releases things that make you say, I'll think of it later, um, it, it makes you say, I, I want to repeat that, and what it does is it creates a strong bond that is intended to be in that marriage relationship. Sexual expression is meant to strengthen the marriage. When you take it outside of that, and, and let's just take the example of promiscuity. When you join yourself to one person and glue yourself to them, but then you leave that person to go to another person, what, what happens when you glue two pieces of wood together and let them dry and then you pull them apart later? You leave pieces of, your, pieces of that wood behind. And that's what happens in, in a life of, of immorality when you are joining yourself to multiple partners. You are ripping your heart to shreds. That is a judgment. I wanna be sensitive as I'm saying this because I am quite certain in a room this size that more than one person has experienced this in, in your own life. And I wanna reassure you 
that God's forgiveness is available for anything and everything, thank God, that we have done in our lives. And we'll actually see a verse later that's gonna, gonna reinforce that. So I hope that when you hear me say that, as you live under the forgiveness and the cleansing of what Christ has done for you, that you don't hear that to spur guilt, you hear it to spur gratitude, because you say, Jesus, but for you, that's where I would still be. God wants to rescue us from things that damage us, and so when he gives people over to immorality, it is a judgment. God says, you don't want me? You, you don't like the kind of God I am? Fine, I'll let you do it your way, and the result is damage. Immorality is rooted in idolatry. We talked about the first exchange. There's another exchange that we'll talk about today, another giving up, starting in verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their, their error. The exchange here is the same as we saw before. Verse 25, they're exchanging the truth about God for a lie. God gave them up now in this example to a more specific form of sexual immorality. What we talked about earlier was immorality in general. Now he talks about a specific form of it. Before I go on to say more about homosexuality, I wanna point out something that's really important about the context here. And this is where some of you are gonna start to say, yeah, he's, he's being too soft on this. But I, I just, I'm trying to just teach what I read here, so I want you to see what I'm seeing. In the 10 verses that we're talking about here this morning, two of them have to do with homosexuality. The, the ultimate, the bulk of what Paul is wanting us to get is that idolatry is the problem. So, so please see that in this context because there are some people who will jump on the fact when a, a preacher or a church or anybody jumps on the issue of homosexuality, you're making a big deal of this. Can I, can I humbly and gently suggest that I think our culture has made a big deal of this and so we're responding to it with what God has said about it. But again, I want us to see it. It's very important that we see it in its context. Paul actually could have used a different example here because there are other examples to get across his, his point, but there's a particular reason why I think he may have, have used it. I mean, again, context. We just talked about, the, about immorality in general. Next week, we will talk about God giving people over to a list of really horrible things that have nothing to do with sex at all. And you and I will find ourselves in that list. If, if nothing that we've said so far has touched, well, idolatry has to touch on all of us. But if the sexual part of things hasn't touched you yet next week, um, it, it will, sorry, um, spoiler alert there. So why does, why does Paul, so Paul could have Picked. But let me just say it this way. Paul could have picked a heterosexual relationship to give an example 
here because sometimes we can make a heterosexual partner, if that's a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, whatever, we could make them a substitute God. We, we can just as easily say, I'm coming to you for my happiness, coming to you for my fulfillment, I'm coming to you to complete my, my life, instead of coming to the true God to say, God, I'm trusting you to provide for my needs. So we could, he could have substituted or given another example here. Why does he pick homosexuality? Well, John Piper helps me with this. He, he suggests that homosexuality is a tangible and visible example of this exchange of the creator for the creature. So it so happens in this example that what I have traded the true God for is a substitute God that looks an awful lot like me. Looks even more like me than a heterosexual counterpart would look like. And so, again, let me also just step back again in context for us to understand this. Paul is moving from a global condemnation of all of humankind in, in this passage. He's gonna become more personal as time goes by. Right now, he's using uh, pronouns like they and them. He is going to get to you and, and your so right now, he is painting a global picture. He's really not pointing out a particular sin. He's giving us an example of a sin that is illustrative of humankind saying, you know, if that's what the true God is like, I don't really like that kind of God, so I'll just make my own. And every one of us does that in some respect and through some expression. So we must not be quick to point fingers because next week the fingers are gonna be pointed at us. This is not to minimize scripture being clear and calling homosexuality a sin. It is clear about that. It's just, it's, it's not for any of us to be pointing fingers at someone else when we are guilty of sin as well. Let me make a few more comments on homosexuality. Our culture clearly has shifted to affirm this, this lifestyle. And you don't need these statistics, but I think they're helpful to know. Um, Gallup, uh, Gallup's poll shows that um, US support for same-sex marriage has increased from 27% in 1996 to 70% in 2021. And that has affected the church as well. Uh, Christianity Today did a survey recently and it showed that right around 50% of evangelical Christians who would attend a Bible teaching church have come to a point of saying we, we affirm this lifestyle. So I'm very aware that, that that would include some of you here today and so that's where I'm, I'm sure that we may have some conversations about, about these things. Um, one other stat is um, that the census data from 2020 shows that there were more than 570,000 married same-sex couples, um, which equates to more than 1.1 million married same-sex couples. That's, that's a lot of people. Undoubtedly, you know someone who that affects. And I was talking with someone about this this week, about this topic, 
And, and this was someone who had a concern, who attends our church and had a concern. And they said, I, I'm concerned that if I have a, a gay friend, would they be welcome in our church? Or if I have somebody who's struggling with their gender identity, would they be welcome in our church? And I said, absolutely, they would be welcome in our church. We, we would love them because, I mean, newsflash, our, our church made up of, we're, we're all struggling with something. We're all dealing with something. I get to talk to a lot of you about a lot of those things that we're struggling about. So, I mean, we're all dealing with things. So you're welcome when you're struggling with things. And I, I said to this person, it's interesting, we have a, a church near where we live that has a pride flag outside and on that flag it says, all are welcome here. And I, and I said, I kind of like for us to put that flag out as well because all are welcome here. Here's the difference between what, how some churches will handle people who walk through their doors and how we will handle it. Some churches will affirm whatever your desire is and, and how you feel like you need to live your life. We're gonna ask you to align your desires and your behavior with what God has called you to. Just like we do with any other and every other area of your life. So if you come in our door struggling with an addictive personality and you're wrestling with, um, I, you know, I'm addicted to gambling or I, I have an, an, an explosive anger problem, we're not gonna affirm that behavior. We're not gonna say, okay, I, I know it's really hard and so, you know, We'll just try to stay out of the way when you get angry. We're, we're gonna call you to accountability and say, God, God has the ability to miraculously transform your heart and your life. You don't have to stay the same. If you come in these doors and you stay the same, then either we're not doing our job or you're, something's going wrong in the reception of what's going on in your life. And that's across the board for all of us. I hope you're not the same 10 years from now that you are. If you are, then go find another church and free your seat up for somebody else because we want people here who are wanting to be transformed and to become more like Christ. So I realize that we have a difference of opinion on this topic and some people have come to just say, well, we've just got to affirm it. And, and, and what I'm telling you is you are welcome here and we wanna help you become obedient to what we believe God has called you to. There's, there's a beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, I, there's, there's actually, prior to this, some of you know, there's a really horrible list of, of more sins, and I thought it's been heavy enough this morning, so I didn't wanna put that up there. But it, that list does actually include homosexuality. It also includes greed, and it includes um, heterosexual um, sins. And, and, but this is the beautiful part that I want us to hear this morning. Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. We don't have to stay the same and we shouldn't stay the same. God makes it possible for us to be cleansed and to be made new. And he wants for some of us today to experience that such were some of you. He wants us to get on the other side of that so we can say that too. I used to be that way. 
there's, there's, I knew that there was no way that we could say everything that needs to be said uh, this morning in the time that we have. And so that's why we planned for the conference that we have coming up on Friday night and Saturday this week. So I realize this probably, this may have raised more questions for some of you than it answers, um, but that's available to you. It is filling up, but we would encourage you to, to get signed up for that. That, that conference will give, actually you'll, you'll hear several things in that conference. You will hear two testimonies from people who lived in the LGBT lifestyle and God brought them out of that and you'll get to hear their, their testimony of what God did in their lives and it gives hope that that, that really can happen. Um, the other thing that we're, we're really praying will happen this weekend is that you're gonna get equipped, those of you who have family members who may be identifying in some way or dealing with LGBTQ issues, it's gonna equip you. How do I love them? How do I extend grace and, and bring conviction at the same time? How do I have conviction and compassion at the same time? Which we believe is what is truly helpful um, for, for people. So um, again, that's available to you. If you're not able to make that conference this weekend, we have a list of resources, books, that are available. That has been posted this morning on our blog, and also it's been posted on our Romans Hub page. So if you go to our website and then click on the Romans page, uh, there's a list there of reading materials. We'll actually have samples of those reading materials here at the conference this weekend for you to look at. And, and then last but not least, in terms of resources for you, we would welcome any of the pastors uh, any of the elders here, we would welcome the opportunity to talk with you if you're struggling in any one of these areas, if you're wrestling with stuff that I said this morning. Um, let's, let's have a dialogue about that because again, our, our desire um, is certainly not to condemn with the truth. Our desire is to help you align with what God is calling us to and we know that can take a lot of work and that needs a lot of love and so uh, we're available to help walk alongside of you in that. Two applications for us as we, we close here. I know I'm going long here this morning. Um, for all of us who struggle with idols of various kinds, whether that is sex or money or power or gambling or whatever manifestation, whatever you substitute into that space that belongs centrally only to the true God, do what these unbelievers are not doing in verse 21. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So a way that you can begin to get free from even an addiction or whatever you have substituted into that space as an idol, acknowledge the true God as God. We sang about that earlier. Acknowledge him. God, sometimes I don't like some of the things that I read and hear about you, but I'm, I'm gonna seek to know you better and I'm gonna honor you as the God who's revealed himself to us. And then I'm gonna give thanks to you because there is so much to be grateful for even in the midst of the things that are hard in our lives. I so loved what Lisa shared at the beginning there when she said that she didn't choose, she and Jan did not choose this valley of going through the cancer. If you're struggling with a same-sex attraction or a confusion over your gender identity, I know you didn't wake up one day and choose that. Nobody would do that. It's so painful to go through. But just as Lisa said, she didn't choose that. She didn't choose the challenge. 
she gets to choose her response. And so with any of the challenges that we face in life, we get to choose, am I gonna engage with the Lord and trust him for help with this? And that's the last thing I will leave you with. When we go after idols, when we substitute gods into our lives, we're doing that to try to meet a need in our lives, to try to fill something in. And we don't like the way God, the the true God's gonna do it, so we're gonna do it ourselves. What if you trusted that the God who's revealed himself in scripture actually is able to meet the deepest needs of your soul? And you trusted him to do that. You came to him to do that. Jesus said this in John 6. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He said this after feeding 15,000 plus people on a hungry afternoon. And he said, I'm the bread of life, but he did that to illustrate something bigger. And he's talking about, notice he's talking about appetites here that we have, needs that we have in our lives, hunger and thirst. He says, don't go anywhere else to get your hunger and your thirst satisfied. Come to me. And the tense of the verb is very important here. It's a present tense. Whoever comes to me, whoever keeps on coming to me. This is not a one-time deal. You don't come to God. He gives you what you need. You go off and live your life apart from him. It's you keep on coming to me and you will not hunger. You keep on trusting in me. You keep on believing in me and you will never thirst. Bring your appetites, whatever they are, the appetites that are turned away from what he wants for you. We all have those. We all have appetites that would would lead us into behavior that's displeasing to him. Bring those appetites to him. This is how, this is the Jesus full of grace and truth. You can come to him with those. Even though they're displeasing to him, you, you bring them to him and he says, I will satisfy you. Will you let him do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you, Jesus, for being able to to fill us and fill our appetites. Lord, we confess that our appetites in this world get twisted in so many different directions. And we we are all, to a person, guilty of substituting other things into that space that belongs only to you. And it's a result of that substitution and that exchange that there is all the brokenness in this this world. It's not because of you, it's because of us. But we thank you that you stepped into that. Jesus, you literally stepped into that mess and you brought healing and cleansing by your sacrifice for us. May we increasingly embrace that. May we give up the false gods in our life and embrace the true God and embrace you satisfying our deepest needs so that we can please you with our lives and experience, as we talked about last week, the life that is truly life. We pray those things in Jesus' name, amen.